are listening to a message from Bethany First Church of the Nazarene, online at bethanynaz.org. So you want to talk about it? All right, let's do. Have you ever found yourself standing in front of the refrigerator at 10 o'clock at night with the door open, or standing in front of the pantry at 10 o'clock at night with the door open, and you're saying to yourself, I'm hungry, but I don't know what I want. You just, you just don't feel satisfied, and you don't want to go to bed without feeling somewhat satisfied. So if you can relate to that, I think you can relate to the next question I'm going to ask you. Do you ever find in your walk with God that you just have a sense that there ought to be something more, and you have a desire, and you have a longing for a deeper relationship with God? It's like, I feel like I know him, but I want to know him more. So what if the answer to that longing, that longing for more, is actually the life that God has called us to live and a life of holiness? So let me just take a few minutes to review, okay? How many of you were not here uh, last Sunday? You just were not here last Sunday. I'm not shaming you, just wondering how many people I've got like that. Many of you, how many say, I was here, but I slept through the whole thing, so I didn't hear much. Just those, lots of hands in the air now. So last Sunday, we talked about the fact that four times in the Old Testament, God says these words to His people. Be holy, for I, the Lord your God, am holy. Now, I don't know what that's like for you, but to me, that's a really tall order. God is saying, Rick, here's what I want for you. I want you to be holy. And so, when we get to the New Testament, we find that repeated even again. Be holy, for the Lord your God is holy. So, it feels like something that's hard for me in some ways to relate to. And I'm, I, I find myself, however, uh, catching glimpses or, um, or just kind of seeing out there in front of me that there is a deeper life that God calls me to. And I want that deeper life. And I find myself asking the question, can I really become a person with a pure heart? Can I really become a person with pure intentions? Is it possible for me to become more like Jesus as I go through this life? Is it possible for me to love God with all of my heart, soul, mind, and strength? Is it possible for me to love you as I love myself? And if all of those are possibilities then why would any of us settle for anything less than that? So, 113 years ago, a group of people formed together themselves, and they became the Church of the Nazarene. And you might say, well, why did they come together? Well, they came together around an idea. All denominations come together around an idea. And the idea that they came together and that we still exist today around is this idea that God calls His people to be holy. Think about that. We talked about its influence. There was a guy who lived named John Wesley in the 1700s. And we are very Wesleyan in our theology. And early on in Wesley's life, he found three ideas that related to holiness. And so here's, here's what I want to do. So this is one of those moments where uh, Timmy teases me a bit, but I'm going to sit down because I want to talk to you from my heart, okay? I want you to leave last Sunday, this Sunday, next Sunday. And as you walk out those doors, 
I want you to say to yourself, oh, so this is what it's like to be holy. So this is what it's like to live a holy life. We talked about one of the ideas last week. We'll talk about another one today and another one next Sunday. And here are those three ideas, okay? Wesley said these ideas relating to holiness. Holiness is really a purity of intention. So do you remember last week before I got out of bed this morning, the course of my day had already been set. I had already determined that I'm going to honor God with my life today. No matter what the enemy is selling, I'm not interested. My conversations with other people are going to be seasoned with love and compassion and kindness, and generosity and grace. And I'm going to live my life today fully surrendered to God. And if I come short of that or if I fell along the way, my heart is going to be broken because my intention of this day is to honor God with my life. That's what he means by purity of intention. Today we're going to talk about imitating Christ. So if I say to you, God wants us to be holy because God is holy, you might say that's hard to grasp. But in the New Testament, when we meet Jesus, we gain this more clear, better understanding of God. And we watch Jesus live his life. And a light comes on. And we say, wow, that's what it means to be holy, to live like Jesus lived. That's holiness with skin on it. That's holiness in the flesh. And so to be holy is to be like Jesus, to imitate Christ. And then next week we're going to talk about loving God and loving neighbor. Okay? Heard a story this week of a guy who says, I went to San Diego to hang out with a pastor that I heard about. And I wanted to go with him on one of his day outings. And we crossed the border into Mexico from California. We went to the poorest of the poor in that country. Literally, it was a city dump. And we met all of these children, orphans, living around that city dump. And he said, I watched this man open his arms to these children as they came running to him. And they were filthy. And he brings them up into his arms and he hugs them. He picks them up. He carries them around. They're climbing him like he's a tree. I watched him feed them. I watched him play with them. I watched him hug them. I watched him take a, literally a basin and a towel and he washed their faces and he washed the dirt off their hands and their arms and their legs. I watched him put clean clothes on these little kids. We did it all day long. When the evening came, we were still doing it. He was still loving on these kids. And he said, throughout the day, I kept having this sense in my spirit that this is what it would be like if I spent the day with Jesus. And all day long, I just had this sense, I feel like I'm hanging out with Jesus. I feel like that this is what Jesus would be like. I feel like I'm in the presence of Jesus. I think this is what it would feel like if I spent the whole day with Jesus. And then he said, I wonder if anybody 
has ever spent the day with me. And they walked away saying to themselves, all day long, I just felt like I was in the presence of Jesus. Because I think that's what Jesus would be like. So Wesley says, if you want to know what holiness looks like, it looks like how Jesus lived his life every day. And so for you and I to be holy is to be like Jesus. In fact, he says, holiness is all the mind which was in Christ. It's thinking like Jesus thinks, enabling us to walk as Christ walked. And so I think the question that I'm left with this morning, and, and frankly, you may feel the same way. You may say, Rick, I feel like I'm asking myself the same question. Am I becoming more like Jesus? Do I love people like Jesus loved people? Do I care about people like Jesus cared about people? Am I compassionate like Jesus is compassionate? Do I forgive like Jesus forgave? Do I serve like Jesus served? Do I give like Jesus gave? And, and I just got to tell you that there's something that kind of springs up inside of me. And I have to ask myself, if we are not living our lives like Jesus, why would we call ourselves Christian? Or maybe how can we call ourselves Christian if our lives don't resemble the life of Jesus at all? Because to be Christian is to be a follower of Jesus' life and teaching, right? And so I guess I would ask you, like I'm asking me, as you look at your life evolve over the years, do you feel like you're becoming more like Jesus? So let me take you to the book of Philippians, okay? You want to grab a Bible? Chapter 2, verse 5, Philippians. The writer of the book is a guy named Paul, a tent maker slash missionary. He was bivocational in his ministry. He's writing to a group of persecuted Christians in a small town called Philippi. He had planted the church himself. He's writing them to thank them for this gift that they sent him to help kind of support him while he's in prison. Because in those days, if you were in prison and you wanted to eat, your family or friends had to give you something to eat. And he's saying, thanks for taking care of me. And then Paul gives them in chapter 2 a poem. And the whole letter is centered around this poem. And I'll explain that as we work through the passage in a moment, okay? So here we go. He says to them, in your relationships with one another. So I want you to think for a minute about your relationships. Think about the two or three people in your life that you are closest to. You got it? So when I think about that, I think, well, I'm closest to Annette. I'm close to some of the people that I work with, close to my girls. I have some friends that I'm close to. I call my mom these days about every other day. In your relationships with one another, and I think it can get broader. Schoolmates, classmates, I think it can go to coworkers people that I go to church with, on and on and on. But your relationships, okay? He says, in your relationships. So this is not some 
I don't know what he's talking about. This is out there. I'm talking about you right now in your relationships, all right? So Damaris, you got relationships in your life. Wanting you to think about those relationships right now. He says, so you, Damaris, in your relationships with one another, with all of your friends, your family, etc., have the same mindset as Christ Jesus. And so we ask, well, what was his mindset? And then he gives it to us. Who being in the very nature of God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness. And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death. Therefore, God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Amen? So this is the Word of God for the people of God. And everybody said together, thanks be to God. You're about as quiet as I found you for a while. So, let me think with you about, about that passage of Scripture, okay? My, my wife Annette and I, we were having dinner with some folks the other night who attend the church. And, and they were talking about, how long have you been here? Nine years. Okay. And, uh, and you like it here? In, oh, we love it in Oklahoma. So, you know, Annette and I, we just... Um, are from the southeast, and I know we've moved across the country to the southwest, but um, the south is the south, right? People are friendly in the south. And so one of my first impressions of moving here, and it just felt like, honestly, I was just slipping on an old shoe. It was so comfortable. I think I sound like you guys sound. I think I talk like you talk. And so we were here the first day. We met the church board. We met the church staff. We went through an interview process. And the next morning, we're going to fly home. And so you know how you go to an airport and TSA agents are kind of a matter of fact? I get it. It's their job. You know, they don't make great eye contact sometimes. They're just kind of motioning you while they're looking over that way, you know, to come on through. Or if you forget something, they might say, in kind of a matter of fact way, sir, we need you to remove your belt. Oh, I'm sorry. Didn't realize I'd left my belt on, you know, whatever. But, but usually they're not like, you know, the most uh, outgoing, friendly people in the world that you ever meet. And I understand, they're, they're doing a job. I get it. I get it. But when we were flying out that next morning, you know, we're coming through, and I'm getting ready to walk through the uh, metal detector. And the lady on the other side of the metal detector with her hand on her hip like this says to me, get your cell phone in here. <laughs> and I remember thinking to myself, this is my kind of town right here. These are my people. You know, I love this, you know. And, and people here are friendly. We've lived in several cities in the United States in our married life together. And this is probably the friendliest city that we've ever lived in. And uh, we love being here. We love being a part of the church. We love being a part of your lives. I just, I just wake up in the morning when I pray sometimes and say, God, I don't know why you're so good to me to let me be here. But I'm so thankful that I am. I love it here. And I love the friendliness of the people in Oklahoma City. So if you've got to be known for something, be known for being friendly, I guess, right? Interestingly, when Paul 
gives us this poem about Jesus. And he says, you should really be like Jesus. And in your relationships with others, you should have the same mindset of Jesus. What he then does, because I told you the poem is the center of the letter, everything before and after is about the poem. What he does after he gives us the poem is he gives us examples about real life people living in his day who had the same mind as Jesus, who were a lot like Jesus. So you ready? Here we go. The first one is Timothy. All right? He says, I don't have anybody else in the world like Timothy. Timothy is on another level. Timothy is unlike everybody else I know. He said, because when Timothy comes to you, let me just tell you something. He will genuinely be concerned about you and your welfare. Because Timothy, unlike other people, does not look after his own interest. Timothy is always looking after everybody else and the interest of the gospel. In fact, Paul says, I've got nobody else in the world that is quite like Timothy. So what do we do? We name our sons Timothy, right? Because Timothy was such a great guy. Now, just, just dream with me for a minute. I know this is impossible. And I know you're going to go, that's a little wacky. Okay, but I'll, I'll be a little wacky, okay? What if somehow I could travel back in time, 2,000 years? And what if I could somehow go to Timothy? And I go to Timothy, and I say, hey, Timothy, I know that you don't know me. I know that I'm dressed kind of funny to you. I know my haircut is not like your haircut. But, Timothy, let me tell you something. I'm coming from the future 2,000 years later, Okay. And Timothy, I know this doesn't make sense to you, but there are now billions of people on the planet, almost 8 billion people on the planet. And Timothy, two-thirds of those 8 billion people are followers of Jesus. I know you don't understand what this is, but there is a book. And I know that you don't know what a book is, but, well, anyway, Timothy, a lot of the writing in the book came from your mentor, Paul. And Paul writes about you. And I know this is going to blow your mind like crazy, all right? Because out of all of those billions of people that are reading the book, they know you. They read about you. They study your life. They hear lots about you. And Timothy, this is what they know about you. They know that you were like Jesus and that you always put other people first like Jesus did. And that you didn't look out for your own interest first like Jesus did, but you looked out for the interest of others like Jesus did. And you were always concerned about the gospel like Jesus was. Timothy, that's what you're known for. Kind of cool, huh? And then Paul gives a second example. Epaphroditus. He says, Epaphroditus, he's special. Because Epaphroditus has laid down his life for the gospel. In fact, he almost died. And so what if you could travel back in time? 2,000 years of Epaphroditus. I know you don't know me. I know I look weird to you. But there are now 8 billion people on the planet. Two-thirds of them follow Jesus. They all study this book. I know you don't know what a book is. But Epaphroditus, they know who you are. Billions of people know your name. And here's what you're known for. You're the guy who lived your life so surrendered to God that you were willing to give your life for it and you almost died. You were so much like Jesus that you gave your life. Isn't that cool? Guess what he does next? Chapter 4, he gives two more examples. You know what their names are? One is Euodia. Why don't we name our girls Euodia? Help me with that one, will you? 
You know why? It's not a very pretty name. I went through our church software before the sermon and just made sure there was nobody named Euodia in our church because I didn't want to offend anybody. The other lady's name is Sintiki. And you know what they're known for? Not being like Jesus. Not having the mind of Christ. And Paul says, I plead with them to somehow find the humility of Jesus and be reconciled to each other and quit this fighting. It's tearing the church apart and get unified and knock it off and cut it out and become like Christ. The truth is we don't name our kids Euodia and Sintiki because who would want to name your kid after somebody who couldn't get along with somebody else? Can you imagine traveling back in time and sitting down with Euodia and say, Euodia, Sintiki, look me in the eye. I know this doesn't make sense to you, but I come from the future. And 2,000 years later, there's going to be this book. I know you don't know what a book is, but Paul writes about you. And if you don't get your act together, if you don't change the way you think, if you don't humble yourself, if you don't find the humility of Christ, if you don't put others above yourself, you're going to be known for the two women who could not get along with anybody. So I think it leads us to a question. What do you want to be known for? So my friend Keith Newman, who is the president of the university next door, stopped by my office. The, stopped, not, I said by me office, but I don't usually talk like that. By my office the other day. He stopped by me your office, eh? And, and he said, I got a book that I think you would like to read. And, and uh, if you don't, just toss it aside. But I love it, and I think you'll love it. And I love it. It's by Jeff Henderson, and the title of the book is, What Are You For? Jeff Henderson, What Are You For? And Jeff Henderson says that there's two questions, really three, that every organization should ask themselves and every person should ask themselves. You want to know what they are? Okay, here we go. First question, what do you want to be known for? So as an individual, if you, you, you want me to make a list? I could do that. First, I want to be known as a Christ follower. I want people to say, Rick, Rick sometimes reminds me of Jesus. I want to be known as a faithful and loving husband to Annette. In fact, Annette wants me to be known as a loving and faithful husband to Annette. I want to be known as a loving father to my girls, Brittany and Morgan. I want to be known as a loving son to my mom. I want to be known as a person of integrity. I mean, I could just keep going. I, I think you should make a list, though. I mean, seriously, what do you want to be known for? Second question. What are you known for? Is there a difference in the two? The first answers the question, what do I think of myself? The second 
answers the question, what do others think of me? Are they the same? Here's the third question. I think it's worth showing you. How do you close the gap between the two? If there is a gap, how do you close that gap? Because who I want to be known for and who I am known for may not be the same. Have you ever found yourself in this position? You're with somebody and they say to you, do you know so-and-so? And you say, oh yeah, I know who that is. How well do you know them? Pretty well. Well, tell me what they're like. And you're kind of like, oh, oh, oh yeah. You don't really want to say. Because what they're known for in your mind isn't real great. And you're pretty sure it's not what they want to be known for. And there's a gap between the two. Status is a, we're going to talk about closing the gap, okay? Status is a, is a big deal in our society, right? Status, ranking, all that. Where do you fit, you know, ranking order? Net and I were with some friends not long ago. We were checking into a hotel together, and um, the clerk behind the counter said to my friend, Oh, sir, I'm sorry. I just now realized what your status is with us. Would you like a complimentary bottle of water? I stepped back and said, Who are you? I don't even know you anymore. People just offering you free water? Status. But you know, when you think about all of these uh, diamond, elite, medallion, platinum, you know, with our organization, I've reached this status, perks. I think we laugh a little. Marketers know what they're doing, though. And here's the other thing. There's something to it. Because the car you drove to church in today says something about your status. You don't have to like that. It's true. The house or the neighborhood you live in says something about your status. This lovely ensemble I'm wearing today says something about my status. I'm dying up here. Y'all got to laugh a little. Come on, Marla, can you just laugh something? Just give me a little something back here. So you know what Paul says? Jesus laid down his status. You want to talk about status? Here's what it says. Who be in the very nature of God. Equality with God. Now that's status, right? And Jesus says, yeah, I don't think I should use that toward my advantage. And instead he becomes a servant. And he gives himself to the humiliation of a cross. And he could have had it all. People waiting on him hand and foot. And he lays it all down. And Jesus says, you want to talk about status? Jeannie, Jesus says, I'm going to put you above me. Yeah. Michael, Jesus says, I'm putting you right up here above me. 
And Larry, your interest I'm going to put above mine. I think that's how you close the gap between who you want to be known for and who you are known for. I have this vision, this dream about Bethany First Church. You know, when I moved here, people would say, you, 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 know, you know what some people say BFC stands for? And I would be like, no. And they would say, big fat church. I'm like, I don't want to be known as the big fat church. I want to be known as the, as the big, loving, gracious, compassionate, open arms church. You know. And my vision is, is that we would become servants. <laughs> I know it's, 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 a, it's, it's a lofty vision, but it's a great vision. I believe it's God-given. And that, that it would happen through our groups, community groups, classes that meet on Sunday, meet on any other time of the week, whatever your group meets, that, that we would through this summer be on our knees before God saying, God, where can we serve? Where do you want to use us as a group? And by the time that we get to this fall, that every community group that we have, every class that we have, every gathering that we would have, would be somewhere in the community serving. And it would just be common knowledge when anybody would say, well, who did all of that? Somebody would say, oh, it's that group from BFC. Oh, I think it's the people from BFC. Oh, the people, had to be the people, the people from BFC always do that kind of stuff. It, it must be the people from BFC. What kind of footprint could we leave in our city? If we just did what Jesus did in humility, value others above yourself, not looking to your own interest, but each of you to the interest of everybody else. So I'm done. And you're like, okay, he's done. And I think probably many of you are saying, I'll try. I'm good. I'll try. I like it. You'll try what? I'll try to be more like Jesus. Really. I believe you mean it. And I'll try to have a pure heart. And I'll try to have pure intentions. And I'll try when you talk next week about loving God and loving my neighbor. I'll try to do that too. I'll try. Honestly, I want that. I'm good with all of it. I'll try. And I think trying is important. And I don't think God has a problem with effort ever. He has a problem with earning, but not effort. But in all of our effort, we can't do it in our own strength. It must be God working in our hearts by the power of His Holy Spirit to change us. Because I can't change my heart. I try to change my heart, and I don't get it changed. Only God can change my heart. And this process of becoming holy that Wesley called sanctification, by the work of God's Holy Spirit in my heart is what I am desperate for and what I need in my life. And so I'm going to pray for you, okay? Would you bow your heads with me? And, and as we pray together, in a moment, we're going to stand and we're going to pray together. And, um, and, and then I just want you to pray in whatever way is best for you. If you want to 
come down the aisle and kneel at an altar and pray. That's always an option for you here. If you want to pray where you're standing, if you want to sit down and pray, whatever's good for you. But, but if you will at this point, stand with me. Father, we come before you wanting to be more like Jesus, wanting to live that life of holiness that you call us to. And today we just have this picture. It's just, it's just being like Jesus. It's putting others first. But we know that we can't do it on our own. So we pray that you would work in our hearts by the power of your Holy Spirit And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. You have been listening to a message from Bethany First Church of the Nazarene. Visit us online at bethanynaz.org.